right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Lang Up podcast. Solly here sitting next to the 18th fairway on the plantation course here in Kapalua. The sun is out. The birds are chirping. We've had a fantastic 2022 rolling into 2023 out here on Maui. A lot of content to come. Hopefully, by the time this is out, we're pretty close to posting our video on YouTube of our match with Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, uh, me and JT against Neil and Jordan Spieth playing alt shot on the plantation course. Uh, that should be up by sometime Wednesday. Might be Wednesday night. I, I don't know as of the time of recording this, but I'll also spend some other time out here making some other content that will come out a little bit down the road uh, and spend some time on this Tuesday chatting with a few guys here at the plantation course. Uh, Mark Rolfing, who has just a ridiculous history with this island and this golf course and this tournament, just spent about 30 minutes with him. That's the first interview you're going to hear here. Uh, next up is Cameron Young. Spent about 30 minutes with him talking about his development. And then coming down the 18th fairway as I'm speaking right now is Sahith Tagala, and he is coming right in here to record the last half of this episode. So uh, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Roback. They are back for another year. We could not be more excited about it. The fit, the feel, the quality, it's just perfect. I know you guys all know their gear because you shop it in our shop. Uh, they, they keep coming back for more ad reads, so that must mean it's working and that you guys are buying it from their website as well. I cannot go anywhere. I can't go to a golf course, can't go to an airport without seeing the Roback Subtle uh, dog logo or the two-stripe bridge on the back. Their performance polos, they fit so much better than the typical boxy polos. The collar never loses its shape. The four-way stretch material is soft and comfortable. We basically live in these things, play golf in them, go to restaurants in them. If you see us out, you probably see us out in some form of Roback. If we're not in the polo, you probably see us in the Q-Zip. It's the definition of versatile. I can, you can do any activity in this. Uh, keeps you warm, but without heating you up too much, you can wear it. You know, when it's just got a nice crisp morning breeze or evening breeze to it. It's it's a fantastic piece of outerwear. And lastly, the hoodies, legitimately the most comfortable hoodies we've ever worn. Uh, you can wear them on the course. They're the softest. They're the stretchiest. It's just incredible quality. Uh, I, I, I need to add a few more of these to my rotation, as I've said many times, because I'm always, always wearing mine. You can use code NLU at Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of this week. That's R-H-O. B-A-C-K.com, 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and tees with code NLU. So kick off your 2023 right with Roback. Go check them out at Roback.com. Here's Mark Rolfing. All right, we've had a lot of conversations over the years. Never, somehow, never on this podcast. We've done a lot of functions together digitally uh, through the internet, but I get it now. I, I totally get it. I've spent a few days here in Kapalua. And I, I understand your passion for this place. So I want to know, where does the Mark Rolfing in Hawaii story start? Wow. Uh, I guess it starts back in 1976, uh, where I basically played my way out of the game, um, thinking I was going to be the next Jack Nicklaus, and I was only going to be the next Mark Rolfing. Had gone to the tour school right at the end of 75 and missed qualifying there, and... Um, I'd played all over the world, Asia, Europe, trying to figure out how to do it. It didn't work. And I'd met this gal that I kind of fancied and asked her if she wanted to come out to Hawaii for a week and kind of have me think about what I was going to do for the rest of my life. (laughs) I'd played in the Hawaiian Open that year and really kind of liked it. So Debbie Rolfing came with me, and um, we never left, basically. I came up here to Kapalua, and 
There was only a golf course. The bay course was the only thing here on the property. I walked in there one day, I'll never forget, and said, um, you guys don't like have any jobs open, do you? And they said, well, what do you, what do, you do? And I said, well, I've actually never had a job. But um, <laughs> make a long story short, they um, hired me to um, basically wash the golf carts. So really? my first job here at Kapalua was washing carts. And I, I still am amazed by this. Of you know, So take us to the, the event that was here on the Bay Course in Kapalua. What was the time frame of that and, and how that tournament kind of outgrew the Bay Course? Yeah, so um, from like 1977 till 1982, I, I worked my way up a little bit through the resort and became the assistant pro, and then I was the head pro, and then kind of the general manager of the resort and got to meet a lot of people, guys like our own Palmer and re- really important people and spend time with them. And I started, started understanding kind of the way the world of golf worked, um, literally being in the right place at the right time. And I played in the Hawaiian Open in 1981, I remember, and thought to myself, wow, you know, nobody knows about Kapalua. It's a great place, but at the end of the road and nothing there except a course. And how can we draw some attention to Kapalua? And I thought to myself, you know, the most famous course in the whole Hawaiian Islands is Wailai Country Club because of the Hawaiian Open. And yet you can't play the course because it's private. So... I concocted this postseason PGA Tour event called the Kapalua Open and tried to convince everybody that Arnold Palmer would come and play, even though the first prize was only $15,000. And sure enough, he did. And um, we did it down on the Bay Course for, I guess, was about five years. And by the end of that run, we were on NBC. And, you know, we were having years where Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer and Lee Trevino were all in the field. And. Greg Norman won his first tournament on American soil, and the thing just exploded, and it needed a bigger home. Hmm. Bay Course is a, is a tiny thing. The course actually held up pretty well, um, but we needed a bigger site. And uh, so um, I had a relationship with the landowner and kind of put together a deal. And Well, for people, it's, you know, it's starting to make a lot more sense to me now that I've been out here, right? The Bay Course obviously sits by the ocean incredible views and sits down on the lower part of the property but you cross over the highway over into this plantation area and since i've been a golf fan i've only known this place to exist as a golf course right but you were here before this golf course existed and this terrain as you've we've all seen on television is rugged is crazy you have to take drives in cars between some of the holes out here but from what i gather i believe you were very instrumental if i may say in identifying this site as a golf course can you tell us that story well yeah i did um it's about a 500 acre site and interestingly enough in all those 500 acres there was only one place you could put a clubhouse you couldn't put it on either end you had to put it in one of the middle uh pineapple fields which we did but if you put a clubhouse here and start here you couldn't play up that hill on 18 where he's pointing up 18 for yeah those pointing listening. up 18 uh, so you had to come down uh, on that hole which meant the back nine was over there and you go down here so the front nine was over there and it's funny because i i interviewed probably a dozen potential golf course architects for the job before bill core and ben crenshaw convinced me that they were the guys who had never done anything like this or really anything uh, at that point but I said, okay, the only thing you guys got to understand is everything is pretty much laid out in terms of the routing. What you really have to do is figure out what are these holes going to be like. And, and I had no idea 
what they were going to be like. Uh, but it, it really turned out great. And um, it's interesting. I, I had an event last night with Tom Kim, who has become one of the superstars of our game. And uh, we were talking about the plantation course. And he was telling me that he's been playing it on YouTube and watching it for years and years and years and that he felt like he knew it, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I said, well, how was it compared to what you thought it was going to be like to actually be here? And he said, exactly the same. Hmm. Because you, you watch it on TV and you start understanding that the most important thing is the views and that the hole's never the target. You don't ever aim at the hole. You're aiming somewhere else and the ball's going to end up at the hole, hopefully. <laughs> So, I mean, when people came up to see this land for a golf course, there was, I'm guessing, not a road leading up here. We're on the side of a volcano. Mountain golf I, is not my favorite style of golf. I think I definitively said this was my favorite mountain course that I've ever played. So how do you convince someone that, you know, I guess what was the process like in convincing someone this was land for a golf course? Well, Ben Crenshaw is one of my best friends in the world. And, uh, in fact, my wife Debbie and I are godparents of his three daughters. And so we're, we're, we're very close. And I actually brought him up here before Delcor ever came. So it was on a trip that Ben was coming over to Hawaii. And I showed him the place. And um, apparently the way that Ben described it to Bill was that it's land gently rising from the sea. <laughs> And Bill Core got here, <laughs> his said, first what? trip, and he said, wait a minute, Ben, gently rising from the sea. <laughs> Funny story. I, so we were flying the drone here, and you have a, a drone. The law for drones is basically you can't fly 120 meters above where you take off from. And it has great range, and I'm flying it from down here, and I'm trying to get up to 17T from 18 fairway, not even 18 green. And I reached the altitude limit just trying to get up to 17T. Like, that's how severe the elevation change is. Yeah, as we built the course and as it opened, um, I started realizing just how severe the land was. Ben and Bill wanted a reachable par 5 for the last hole. And we started out, I think we moved the tee back five times. I think we started at a traditional yardage maybe of 540 or 550 for a nice, reachable, comfortable um, finishing hole and ended up at at 680 um <laughs> when, when i when i was working at nbc um we actually had the today show out here for a week that filmed at kapalua and i came up here with bryant gumbel and katie kirk and the course had just opened and i showed them something i stood right on the front of the ladies tee and dropped ball straight down i didn't roll it i didn't spin it i dropped it and i think it was almost a minute before it actually ended up in the weeds down no at the way. bottom of the hill. It All was so firm and fast back then. <laughs> um, you know, it's changed quite a bit over the years. For, frankly, we're going through a climate change um, that may be cyclical, I'm not sure. But um, this thing played so firm and fast back then, just totally, totally different. And um, it was was really exciting in the early years. I just see, seeing shots. I remember Andy Bean holding a six iron for a two here from like three ten or some unbelievable <laughs> yardage. And Tiger, I think, hit the longest drive in on shot link history on this one day at four ninety eight. And I remember Joey Sindler. I don't want. I remember Joey one year was was in contention, and he decided to hit an iron off the tee to play safe. And he did, and right down the middle, couldn't find his ball. And 
about a week later, somebody found it in the weeds down there. Jesus. Um, he, he had to kind of reload, but he had literally turned it over. If you, if you look at this hole, you guys being great players kind of know what it's like. If you hit a draw that curves with the slope, and you land it in the speed slot over there. It doesn't matter what club you've hit. No. It's going to end up all the way down here at the bottom. It's funny when I watch guys now play out here and how they try to understand the course. I see guys hitting fades off this 18th tee and just blasting them. And then it's curving right into the hill and stopping hmm. up there. So there's a there's sort of a trick to um, understanding that. That's why you almost never see first-timers and, and new guys to this course win you got to get to know it. Well, and that's the thing, too, we learned. We, uh, For those listening, if you haven't, uh, we, we got to play it a few days ago, and it's my first time playing it. And, I mean, I, we got to play it with Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, which was a, a, quite a privilege. But how many times they're telling and I'm looking, all right, this is left center on like a three-foot putt. And they're like, no, no, it's outside the hole. I mean, how much break there is on these greens. And that's where immediate reaction was like, and I know these tour pros figure stuff out incredibly fast, but I was like, that's probably why you don't see first-timers win here very often is this is a course knowledge place. And learning all the breaks, your eyes, when, when, the, when the terrain is so severe like this, seeing what's really close to you, I find really difficult. I think that's one of the great challenges of this place. One of the most intriguing conversations I ever had was in the men's grill with Tiger Woods one day. Um, and, and the thing that you have to understand, and I'll preface this by, by explaining to everybody, that all three of the main elements go the same direction here. The wind, the slope, and the grain all go in the same direction. And uh, that just accentuates, you know, how much things break or how fast they are, how slow they are. And I remember Tiger... Um, coming in there and grousing and saying to me, I, I, I need some help on these greens. I just don't understand it. And I said, yeah, I saw that today <laughs> after announcing, you know, for make a few hours. He can't, can't make a thing. So I asked him, I said to him, let me ask you this. How, how many more down grain putts do you make, Tiger, than into the grain putts? He said, I cannot make an into the grain putt. I said, well, that's because it's up the hill. It's into the wind. It's into the grain. You're grinding on a six or eight footer. And no, I, nobody does. Um, and he goes, you know, you're right. I, I should think about that. And I said, why don't you consider leaving yourself down grain putts as much as you can uh, so that if you're on the front of a green putting or if you're chipping or something, the natural tendency is to think, oh, well, don't leave it above the hole. Leave it short of the hole. You leave it short of the hole. Now you got the uphill into the, hmm. the grain putt. And so uh, you'll hear me all week long on NBC and Golf Channel here talking about that. I really like the downgrain putts here. They're not that fast. Yeah. It's not like they're lightning fast. But you got to kind of get to know it. And if you look at the winners here, there's never a fluke. Um, same guys. Justin Thomas, like, win-win. Xander always plays well here. Yep. Yep. You know, and it's interesting. Even when we did the renovation in 19, it was a very tricky renovation here uh, because the goal was to try to make the course more difficult for the best players in the world, but make it easier, almost more importantly, for the resort guests. And so, because resort play is the priority. Yeah, that's the priority. Course, yeah. And and what we did to that effect was basically soften the greens, calm them down, as Bill Coor would say, and, and we did. And I didn't know how it was going to play afterwards, and I didn't know how players were going to react. But that first year after the renovation, there was a three-way playoff with the top 12 players in the world. You had Reed, Shoffley, and Thomas. And that was just sort of like validation that, okay, it's not your normal course. Might not be everybody's cup of tea, but look what we got here. 
Scores are going to be low in relation to par Absolutely. when you have, you know, not, you don't have the brutal par fours. That's where guys get higher scores and you have gettable fives and all that. But it doesn't mean the challenge isn't there. It par, again, it's a par 73 golf course. Like those dudes, they don't ever shoot 73 or higher. So it's always going to be like that. But I think, you know, I, over the years, we all tune, everyone tune in, tunes into Golf Channel and watches like a lot of, I remember living in the Midwest in crappy winter weather, tuning in and watching, coming in and seeing these scenes here in Maui, seeing, uh, we're looking at Lanai behind us. Do I have that right? Or is that oh, Molokai? That would be, that would be Molokai. Molokai. I got lose. I see. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the guy here. You were on Lanai. It's you a don't tough know which angle. island you were even on. It's, it's a, a tough, tough angle, angle over okay. here. I'm still learning the geography out here, but it, uh, it always like shines through in the telecast of how your passion for this place, right? You're not just a resident here, but I, tell us about, I don't even know how to ask this really, but tell us about your, your passion. What makes Hawaii so special to you? I love the this people. Is, this is not brought to you by the tourism board either, no. which I know you're involved with that too, but like, I, I, I do find this fascinating. You know, I, I've lived here the majority of my life. I work all over the world, and yet somehow I keep coming back to Maui, kind of become a waterman. I'm a Pisces, so maybe that's where it started, but I, I love the people here, and it's like when I'm gone and then I come back, it's like I've never left. Um, and I love the golf. It's it's interesting. Um, I get to go to a lot of great golf places, but there really is nothing like Hawaii because there's so much diversity in terms of the places you go and the people you meet and the courses you play. Desert golf, okay, I like desert golf, but you go to Scottsdale or places like that and there's you know, a dozen phenomenal courses and but it's all kind of the same. The characteristics of of desert golf are, you know, pretty much the same no matter where you go. Here, you know, depending on what side of the island you're on, you've got totally different climates. Um, there's an island here, the Big Island, which you guys didn't make it to this week. But there's 11 designated climates in the world. Uh, you're gonna laugh because he probably already said this. Uh, and nine of them are on that same island. Oh my God! Um, which is in- incredible. You can. S- no ski and snorkel on the same day. Isn't this, is this somewhere on this island too? This, is it the southeast part of this island that's the third rainiest place on earth? Is that right? Yeah, so Hana, it's, yeah, it's kind of the, yeah, more, more of the east side. But if you look at the islands, take a look at Molokai there, you will see that the cloud buildup is all on the east side because that's the higher ground. The lower um, west end of the island is very, very dry. So here at Kapalua, where you and I are sitting today, Chris, I'll bet we would average maybe 25 inches of rain a year yet you go down to the west end where you guys are i'll bet it's half of that there in lahaina maybe i know less than 10 and we're talking just 20 minutes down the road yeah we're only talking a few miles so and you've got courses over here that are kind of flat you've got dry arid ones wailea is kind of a real dry arid area down on the base of the volcano over there so there's just a lot of diversity the other thing i like about golf here is that people come here and they play the best golf of their lives they will hit the longest drives because the ground is hard here yeah. um, not just at the plantation course but p- people generally tend to play really good golf in hawaii and that results in more fun oh for sure and it seems to me I, i've not been to all pga tour stops but this is my first time ever to this event and it seems like a little bit of a blast from the past in terms of size of media here and player availability and vibe. I mean, there's just not that many fans that come out to this part of the island. It seems like is that is that accurate? Is this like more of what the PGA Tour was like 20, 30 years ago? Maybe longer than that. Pre Tiger. Yeah, it really is. Uh, to, to me, this is the best first tee on the PGA Tour. Mm. 
not just the view, but the, the fans can get closer to the players here. I guess Riviera's pretty cool first tee, and uh, there's a few. Marion might be the best of all, but yeah, it's a great place for people to come and watch golf, and and I don't know, the players just have a, a, a different attitude. Um, I was talking about the junior event I did down at Kanapali yesterday, and Tony Finau came down and helped me out, and we surprised the kids and parents with Tony, and he never left. I, f- I finally left, and he was still there. He had talked to every kid. He had talked to every parent. He had signed every golf ball, and just, I don't know. You don't see guys. Everyone's in a Tony good mood. Tony does. Yeah. Everybody's in a good mood. Yeah. yeah, everybody's in a good mood, and... Um, yeah, it's, it's a great way to start the season. Well, and it's also, you've been very generous with, basically, when you found out we were coming here. If anything I can help with, you're, you're, you're the guy, it seems like. So uh, give, people, give the listeners an idea of the different ways you're involved in both just tourism in Hawaii, golf in Hawaii, everything that, I don't know, have we have enough time to get into everything that you're into, but it's, you, your, your footprint here is quite large, and it's, it's impressive. <laughs> it's a small place. Um, I must admit, though, Chris, um, we broke a record this week because I get a lot of requests, and I got one from you um, that I actually couldn't fulfill. I know what's coming. Yeah, what's coming, folks, is that um, these guys went and played a little golf over on the island of Lanai, a place I love, called the Cavendish Course over there. A really cool little place. I could actually live in Lanai City for a year, I think. Wouldn't mind doing that. But anyway, I got a text from my boy Chris here. Wanted to know if I had the code to the restroom <laughs> to get the thing unlocked at the Cavendish course and I couldn't fulfill that one well you knew you told me you knew the director of golf and I and we had some females traveling with us that needed a restroom more than the men did I was just looking out for it but you I, I, I was like if anybody knows it's going to be Rolf totally to- totally understand <laughs> yeah. um but yeah you know in a place like this I can obviously help people out and open some doors and stuff and frankly to be totally totally honest with you this has been a big part of my career because I think a lot of the relationships that um, I've established have been because of Hawaii. Uh, I'll never forget Justin Thomas's, don't remember if it was Mike, his dad, or his agent, asked me one time, oh, maybe eight years ago, or right at the beginning of his career, if I would give him a little media training. Wanted to try to get Justin acclimated to what it was gonna be like. I said, sure. And so um, there's a little beach house down here that I used to take some of the guys down to to snorkel. And every once in a while we do interviews down there, I remember. And uh, so I said, I'd like to do it. I'll help Justin out, but I want to do it while I'm actually interviewing. So I was interviewing him and um, I asked him a question. I said, and I had told him in kind of the explanation of how I was going to try to help him is you really have to listen to what the interviewer is saying. You got to listen. You can't just be thinking about something else I said Justin if you could do one of two things and only one which one would it be win your first major championship or be winning on a winning U.S. Ryder Cup team so he said to me his answer and this is a golf channel camera that I was using I was going to maybe use it for some later tape thing or something he said it's not even close I'd rather be on a winning Ryder Cup team no questions asked yada yada so I knew, okay, now it's time for the lesson to kick in with Justin Thomas. So I asked him the question again. I said, wait, wait a minute. You're telling me that you would rather be on a winning Ryder Cup team than win your first major championship? 
And he said, yeah, not, not even close. Well, that tape somehow ended up on Golf Central that night at the Golf <laughs> I Channel. I remember that. Yeah. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just got totally inundated and flooded. And I said, that, that was the lesson, Justin. You didn't listen. When I asked you again the second time, you should have known that you gave me an answer that I didn't expect and that, you know, you might have explained. I, I don't know what you would have done, but you weren't aware that, that the guy asking the questions thought, wow, what an answer that is. So that, I, I think he learned a lot from that, and it, it actually turned into a whole pretty cool interview. But I've really gotten to know a lot of the guys from being out here and developed sort of different kinds of relationships. By the end of these two weeks in Hawaii, I will have more information that I can use all year long, whether it's Masters or, you know, Open Championship, you, you name it. I, I just sort of bankroll all this stuff mm-hmm. with these guys, and it's been really really good for me it's rolfing season over here over here on the island i love it peter jacobson one year dubbed it the golf channel and then kind of crossed that out and said rolf channel <laughs> and he actually printed up about 50 t-shirts <laughs> that said rolf channel. channel with a logo and gave them out to everybody it was hysterical i wear one of those but <laughs> i hear it all the time i learned it every year and i can't remember it now trade winds kona winds explain yeah. that so the trade winds come from the northeast the Kona winds come from the southwest. Uh, the trade winds are the ones that basically come with the slope. Um, and uh, when we designed this course, Chris, um, we studied rainfall charts and wind charts up here for these plantation fields. They had kept very good track of it. And um, the trade winds, I, I think the number was 320, averaged 320 days a year wow. out of 365. And um, now I think it's down to maybe 200, I mm. would bet. And in fact, in the last 10 tournaments that we've had, um, we've had maybe two trade wind years. So I told you we moved that 18th tee back five times. We had yep. to build a new forward tee a few years ago. Because, because the Kona winds play into the wind. Kona winds play into the wind, and we had a year where nobody reached this green in two shots. Yeah, not, nobody reaching this green in two shots. That's, that's not how this hole was designed. I don't even know how you really play it that, into you know, that tough of a hole. Well, if you look at the layup area down here, it's horrible. It's like one of the worst layups in golf because we just couldn't move. You couldn't move the mountain. We couldn't stop the balls and everything from going to the left. So it really needed to play where you could advance it from up there over to yeah. back down here to the flat. And, and so it didn't work like that for a while. We built a new forward team. It is like, a, I don't know what it is, I guess just being here, I feel a little more, it feels like everyone here is a lot more connected with nature than places I'm used to being, right? It's more familiar with, you know, we got we, on our tour in Lanai, was, you know, they were explaining how the water for the island works and how, how everything flows climate-wise, and I don't know, it's something very freeing about that, I think. It's like, we've already said this is going to be an annual trip we have to make out here, I think. Oh, and well, for sure. Yeah, you, we got to start getting You've been trying to get me out here for years. I know it. Finally doing it. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's great. But you just re-signed a, a multi-year deal with NBC. Question I have, this doesn't see, as much as I can see why you want to live here, it doesn't seem like the best jumping-off point to cover golf professionally around the world. No, it, it's not, but I have a little summer cabin up in Montana that um, – I'll be at for most of the spring and and fall and you know just the places I get to go like St. Andrews if I think about St. Andrews week um, 150th open maybe the greatest golf tournament I've ever seen in my life I think Um, 
I was on live from on the Golf Channel on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we were talking about live golf and this and that and everything else. And then Thursday, I went out with Roy McIlroy on the course on NBC, who shot 66. On Friday, I had Tiger Woods for the last walk around St. Andrews in competition, probably. Sunday, uh, that was a Friday. Saturday, I had um, Dustin Johnson and Scotty Scheffler. And then Sunday, I was with Cameron Smith. <laughs> and when I think about that week now, and I look back on it, that's miraculous. Um, it really is. So as much as I like living here and everything else, I would never give that up, the chance to do that. So juggling living here and doing all that, yeah, it's a little difficult sometimes. But I will tell you this. I like landing on Maui more than I like taking off. Flying these is always a, hard. Yeah, <laughs> I have a different feeling when I'm landing. I can imagine so. Well, I know you got a very busy week. Thank you for spending some time with us. We'll have to have you back this year, Ryder Cup year. I know it's your, your favorite event. We it have is. a lot to a lot to talk about this year as it unfolds. But uh, thanks for all the help here on Maui and uh, in future years as well. And uh, we'll do it again sometime. Same time next year. Let's do it. Okay. Before we get to Cameron Young, if you love the classic style of the Walker Trolley Cape 1.5, our favorite push cart, you are going to love the new Cape 1.5F now with run flat tires. It's the same great trolley with the look and feel that you'll love. The Walker Trolley Cape is the number one premium push cart on the market, bringing classic style with an ample use of modern technology. The Cape 1.5's polished aluminum frame and use of waxed canvas and leather creates a trolley that stands out all over the golf course. I cannot play a round of golf using this trolley without somebody asking me about it. What's the name of it? Taking a picture of the name on the side of it so they can go home and shop for one themselves. Uh, the Walker Trolley's extended its holiday sale. You can visit walkertrolley.com today and you can walk the course in style and bring your game to a new level for 2023. It's, you know, I know we're after the holidays here, but if you're looking to still doing a little bit of shopping for yourself or someone, a loved one in your life, there's no greater gift than the Walker Trolley. Again, walkertrolley.com. Here is Cameron Young. From the mean streets of the Bronx all the way out here to a volcano in Hawaii. For those who don't know, tell us that story. Yeah, I think it was a press conference after Thursday of the British Open. You know, a guy raised his hand, they handed him the mic, and he said, so, you know, growing up in the mean streets of New York, tell us about that. And I was like, well, you know, I grew up literally inside the gates at Sleepy Hollow Country Club, one of the nicer places you'll find. I did go to high school in the Bronx. You know, it was a nice private school, and, and I came home and chipped in essentially my front yard every day. Because so. your dad was the, the pro at Sleepy Hollow? Exactly, yeah. He's been there, um, I think, 21 years, and he's retiring the end of this year. So okay. we're currently – the year that's just ended so he's he's all done there but yeah i mean i, I grew up right there playing and you know, it's it's an awesome place if if you guys haven't been there it's mm -mm. really one of one of the special ones that you'll find neil's been a bunch i'm sure he's, he's he probably hangs out there a lot but yeah, yeah. he said neil says he met, met met your dad last month but so uh, if, if i had this right in july of 2020 you are monday qualifying for corn ferry events and in 2022 of july you are finishing runner-up at the Open Championship on the old course. Did that rise feel as fast as it as it seems when you read it in Wikipedia? It's hard to say. I don't think so. I think looking back, it obviously is you know a, a drastic change um, in my life. A lot of things changed, um, and golf-wise, it's you know a huge, huge difference between the two. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think I think I really enjoyed every stage of it. Um, the Mondays are kind of hard to enjoy at, at times, but. It's just really cool, you know, kind of having that be my story of getting out here. 
I always, no one ever answers this, you know, honestly, because yeah. it's kind of asking you to brag on this a little bit. But like, when did you know, like, you had it, right? Because when I watch you on TV, it doesn't seem like somebody that looks like a rookie out there this past year or like looks uncomfortable in the moment. It looks like you, you're like, I got this. Yeah. When did you have to tell yourself, though, that, like, I, I really do have it? I think the wins on the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah. Because I, it's kind of overlooked, but I, I got my special temporary status that fall of 2020. And then I, I really hardly made a cut until I won. I think I maybe made two or three of the 12 or 14 events or whatever it was. And um, I was struggling. I was playing really bad. You know, I, I didn't – it wasn't like I played okay and just, you know, shot two under and the cut was three. I was, I was playing some pretty terrible golf. But then, you know, those wins come along, and all of a sudden it's just uh, – I, I felt like I was so much more comfortable, not only on the Corn Ferry Tour, but just playing golf in general. Because if you look at your your like your numbers, like your rise, your strokes yeah. gained, or whatever, it wasn't like necessarily telling the story early on that it was going to be this rise. Whereas yeah. Will was kind of stuck on the Corn Ferry Tour through through. COVID. Yeah, he was like clearly numbers, a PGA Tour player. His numbers yeah. were blowing people away. It was just like a number, you know, matter of time. So did something? What changed? Something had to have changed to take it to a whole new level. I think it is one of the kind of what I said, just that comfort level. Yeah, you always can tell yourself that you can do it, that you can win, um, that you can compete on the PGA Tour. But until you have some evidence, um, not that it's hard to believe it, but it's still, it's just your belief. It's not, you know, the belief plus some proof. Yeah, once you've done it, you don't ever have to convince yourself right, of it exactly. again. Right, exactly. I mean, obviously I haven't won on the PGA Tour. Uh, I've been close a bunch of times. And for me, that's kind of good enough to go along with the belief that I can do it. For sure. So I think it's really just that combination of things kind of when they meet is where you start to really feel like, Hey, this is something I can do. Cause it seems like you thrive the, like the, the closer you yeah. get, like you, you know, not only PGA tour, but PGA championship and open yeah. championship, like you were right there. Yeah. A couple shots here and there and you're a major champion as we're sitting yeah. here. Yeah, I know that would be nice. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I really think that's what it is. I think it just, the more you put yourself there and the more you kind of have some evidence stacked up that, that it's not only something you can do, but it's the place you belong. That's, that's really what it is. Um, I think, from a young age, you know, I kind of thought that's one, what I wanted to do was compete on the PGA Tour. And two, I thought that I could. Um, but it's hard enough to get yourself an opportunity to play in one event on the Corn Ferry Tour or the PGA Tour. So it's just a long process of, you know, getting yourself the opportunity to play and then playing like, you know, you can and having that, you know, result in something, a win or close to kind of prove to yourself that, that you're right. Hmm. So tell me about your golf swing. If I'm, if I don't know a ton about yeah. the golf swing, but it looks unique compared to a lot of other yeah. swings we see. But it looks like a made in a lab swing for I'm going to pound the golf ball, right? Yeah. So tell you know, it's I know it's not technically a pause that you have at the top, but it looks like that. I know yeah. your body's still moving and all that, but tell me about like building that golf swing. Was it kind of how always how you've swung it? Yeah, uh, a little bit. I think lucky to have my dad as my coach. I think the way he teaches golf is um, very intuitive. You know, from a very young age, what he really wants you to do or wanted me to do was to just use my body to create speed. And, you know, you wouldn't you don't do that with, you know, perfectly straight arms or perfect positions. You do it by, you know, using your legs and your ability to turn to kind of create speed. That's how I grew up learning. I mean, I learned if you were going to throw a golf club as far as you could, I mean, you wouldn't stand there flat footed and. Mm -hmm you know, worry about like what exact position the club was in and kind of the sequence of that is really how I learned to swing a golf club. You can always figure out how to hit it straight later, <laughs> but you know, if you get to be 
you know, you can be a very good golfer not hitting it very far, but at some point you're not capable as, as capable as someone that hits it farther than you. Mm-hmm. Someone that hits it farther can do more things. And obviously it's sometimes harder to rein that in and figure out where the club face is. But for me, I, I learned first to hit it hard and hit it athletically. And then from then it's, it's been a battle of trying to hit it straight. What is, when you say about turning to create power, how would you yeah. describe what that means though, right? Because I, sometimes I think like I turn, but then like I dip my shoulder. Right. Or where does the rotation power come from for those listening at home? It starts with the ground. It starts with, you know, you watch, you watch Tiger kind of in his heyday when he's just hit it way farther than everybody else. He had such a big squat. And then you could just see. At his, what point in the swing, though? Like you what? know, it's, I think for him and for me, it's really the, the first part of the downswing. Okay. You stay, stay pretty tall, rotate to the top, and then it's a squat. And from there, you can, you know, start to turn your hips and then your shoulders follow your hips. And then as you get to the ball, you know, you, you kind of stand back up and, and push off the ground. And that's where all the rotation and then that, you know, vertical force, you kind of have a, a whip at the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a more modern way of, of swinging the golf club, and that's what a lot of guys do. What is it like for you with your swing as you've gotten into these serious high-stress situations? Yeah. Back nine of the PGA Championship, yeah. back nine of the Open Championship. It looks like you swing it even harder, right? There's no, yeah. there's no layoff in yeah. your swing, right? And I feel like a lot of people, when they get up over nerve, anything that's going to mm-hmm. be nerve-wracking, I'm, I'm talking amateur golfers, but yeah. they want to tend to baby it. They want to tend to, you know, what's that like a competition? Have you had to convince yourself, like, no, no, we're still sending it? Yeah, no, I, I think that's actually, that's something my dad taught me as well. I mean, I kind of, from a very young age, if I've been nervous, I think people talk about, you know, a commitment to a shot. Um, and for me... One of the things that helps me do that, especially off a tee with a driver, is to just, you know, make the swing I know how to make. Hit it hard, hit it solid. I would hope at this point my golf swing is good enough that most of the time that's going to work out all right. One of the things that in those situations really helps me is just committing to, I'm just going to hit it hard, I'm going to hit it solid. And, um, you know, I I might not hit perfect golf shots, but if I can do those things, you know, that's going to work out a lot of the time. So what's it like? You had you played St Andrews before the Open this past this past year, and what's you know? T- tell me about going to that your style of play going to that golf course. What's yeah, that like? I had played it. We had gone on a family golf trip there when I was I think thirteen or fourteen, and it's different. I, I think I think it actually suits me quite well, specifically at St Andrews. It's you know a pretty wide open place. There's obviously tons of trouble to get into, um, but as far as the fairways being wide, there being room to hit it, there's there's plenty out there, um, and from there. What I find fun about golf is making shots, and there's no better place to do that than St. Andrews in the wind with all the mounds and you know concrete for for fairways. Um, you can make up golf kind of as you go. You can hit you hit every shot you know how to hit, and um, that's the fun part. Do you sense when you when you're playing out there that you know you need to play angles and have a little bit more thought than a normal normal round of golf? Tell me about that. What that's like? Yeah, I think I think not not necessarily all day long. Um, but depending on which way the wind's blowing yeah. there, there's a couple holes that you cannot play from the right half of the fairway or you can't play from the left half. Um, there's certain places where... What are some examples of that? To a back right hole location on three, for instance. They, there's kind of a hollow back there. And if you hit it, the fairway's 100 yards wide. If you hit it essentially what's in, I think, 16 fairway, you have a straight shot to a bowl. And if you're on the right side, you kind of have you have a downslope and you have some help from the left, but it's really hard to get it on that little shelf. Yeah. Kind of, it's a shelf in a hollow. It's very odd, mm. but 
I mean, you can duck hook it off the tee and you have 82 yards into a bowl and you can't hit it. If, as long as you get it to the bowl, it's gonna, you're going to have six feet for birdie. Hmm. So off the top of my head, I, I remember that one specifically because I remember talking through it with, with my caddy and thinking, okay, like I can just hit it way over there and it'll be fine specific for that pin yeah like, exactly. it might be different line yeah, of play the but next to, day to a, to a middle left pin there's a bunker there that you can't get it anywhere near the hole you can't get it within 40 feet from the same spot right so there's there's quite a few of those out there that's that's golf to me that's yeah. that's the most fun right yeah, and to compete in that environment i just can't imagine like are you able to recognize you know rory's doing his thing yeah you're playing you're playing with cameron smith on sunday I correct yeah so it, th- these guys are sucking up so much energy. Did you yeah. feel like you were sneaking in in any way? Like, what's going yeah. on internally? No, I mean, it is – we played – so we played, I guess, in front of Rory on Sunday and behind him on Saturday, and you know what he does every shot all day. You can hear the crowds. You can feel the energy. Um, I mean, half the time I'm looking back or looking forward, you know, basically you're, watching you're him play. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, I mean, it's – specifically with him kind of in that in that scenario you just are so aware of what's going on um so i feel like i definitely i think i snuck in there a little bit i mean not not as well known obviously probably not as many people rooting for me out there it was really cool for me just being you know in that situation around that much energy on that golf course um in that tournament it's just it's something that doesn't happen all the time and um I think you have to be grateful just to be there kind of in that circumstance. You're following Mark Rolfing, who, who called yeah. it the uh, the best golf tournament he thinks he's ever seen in his life, I yeah. mean, which he's seen a lot more than it. Yeah. I was the most excited for that one. It's St. Andrews is my favorite place in the world. That that tournament is just going to – when you go back and watch those highlights, I'm guessing those will be mostly happy memories from that week, right? I know you're yeah. one shot short, but that had to be pretty damn cool. No, it is. You know, I, I can say all I want that I'm tired of losing by one or finishing second or whatever. But kind of like you said, you know, July 2020, yeah. if you had said, hey, you know, two years from now you'll be making two on the last hole at St. Andrews, <laughs> I would have, you know, no problem, that. yeah. So then fast forward a couple months, I guess the next month in Delaware, you find mm-hmm. yourself in a room with all these guys talking yeah. about the future of the PGA Tour. Could you yeah. even, like, at what point, you know, if, if you'd have been slighted from that meeting, would you have felt slighted? Or what, no. what was it like to be in that no, room? No, I, I honestly, I don't know why I'm there. Um, <laughs> It sounds I, like it was important, though. It may yeah. have shaped the rest of your career. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, all, all the changes that they're making are hugely beneficial to me personally. I mean, having, you know, gotten to the PJ Tour and started to have some success kind of in this time, I really i am just thankful that, you know, this is how it's all worked out. I think it's all going to provide a lot more opportunity for me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, sitting in that room, sitting, I think I, think I was late. Um, (laughs) and the only seat left was like next to Rory and like two seats from Tiger. And, um, I, I definitely did not feel like I was in the right place. Well, I would, I, I, I get that you're being modest about that, but I would disagree. Right. Because it felt like there was a, 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 something going on at that time, which was like, all right, live is going to be the old guys, the injured guys and all this. And when, you know, with Cameron Smith going and like, if there's young talent going there, young up and coming talent, that's a different story. Right. And I think it. You know, I, I guess, did you hear in that room what you needed to hear to kind of enforce that you wanted to be on the PGA Tour? I don't know necessarily. I, I think for me, it's it's where I've always wanted to play. It's been the pinnacle of our game for a long time. You know, that that was just what I wanted to do. If if I was in this to compete um, at the highest level, this is still where the best players in the world are. So I think it was 
kind of as simple as that. Because the buzz was out there at the time, right? Because I know this part isn't your fault, but like there was on the, if you go to the Live website and if you entered Leishman 25, if you entered Lahiri 25, it gave discounts on tickets before they had signed. And if you entered Young 25 on their website, it gave you a discount. And it sent, it sent the internet in like a, whoa, what's going on here kind of thing. And it, I mean, you've, you've done an interview with Golf Channel. You said, you know, you had serious talks with them. And if they had come at a later point in your career, it may have been a, a different decision. But take yeah. me through like, what that, you know, ultimately deciding what you did and what that decision process was like. Yeah, I mean, at that time, it was kind of kind of frustrating because I really hadn't said anything to anyone outside of my family and my agents. And they um, flood the zone with rumors and it's yeah, super which hard. It's really frustrating just because it's it is a hard decision. It's especially being young. You know, I have I have two kids at home. It's, you know, a very big life decision, depending on what you're going to do. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's it's a very unique situation, and I think very unique for me, just being in my first year and kind of having both opportunities presented to me. It's very difficult, but like I said, I mean, the best golf in the world is is still here on the PGA Tour, and and for me, that's that's what I want to do. You know, there's there's a group of guys that are that are just going to be here, and and I think that's where most of the best players in the world are going to stay. And I really do think it's, you know, the start of this season feels like you guys are going to get out and run with some momentum. Yeah. I really think it, 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 you know, 2024 is when the changes really are taking place and we're going to kind of see a little hybrid of it this year, but I think you guys have a great, great chance to start the momentum. And I feel I, I've heard this. I know there's some communications from the tour that was basically around financial considerations. And I think you were the case example of, I remember if Davis Love said this of yeah. if Cameron Young has Jim Furyk's career, he's going yeah. to make, $630 million or yeah. something like that. It seems like it seems like there was some communication at that time point, uh, you know, at that time frame as well to say to the young guys of like, yeah. hey, here's where the future of the PGA Tour is heading and it's going to be very yeah. lucrative. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think obviously we this is our job and we, we do play to make money. Sure. But I think it's in some part a little unrealistic because, I mean, I would love to believe that I'm going to have Jim Furyk's career. Yeah. I think – Given the level of play at this point, I don't know if anyone's ever going to do that again. I um, agree. Uh, you can run those numbers all you want, but you know, and I, I hate to kind of put numbers on it, but but I, if I were to win twenty times, I mean, if someone's starting now were to win twenty times, that is an unbelievable career. Un, and that's probably forty wins twenty to thirty years ago. Yeah. Like the competition. I, I just I don't think you can necessarily yeah. kind of relate the two, but. I think we can all recognize that a career like that or like Davis Love winning 20 times, I think – I don't mean to take anything away from his career. It's unbelievable. But yeah. I think starting today, I think that might even be less likely. So They would agree with that too. Yeah. The competition level is just it's, – it's insane. Yeah, yeah. What, is, what has that been like in terms of – you know, I, I feel like some guys can get out here and see what yeah. the competition like. And if you really like run the numbers in your head of the math of like trying to win these things, yeah. how hard it can be. Yeah. What's that been like uh, getting accustomed to playing at the, the highest level in that regard? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I think, especially when I look back on last year, I finished second a bunch of times and, you know, lost by one. Um, a couple of times I finished third. So, you know, I look back and some of the golf I played was good enough to win a golf tournament. And even so, I didn't. Uh, you know, I shot 19 under at St. Andrews. That usually wins a British Open. Yeah. Um, I think I shot 17 at Riviera. That, that tends to win there. Um, and I got beat. So it's inspiring, really, to just to be around that many good players all the time. Um, that's what you want to do when you're a kid. You know, I get, to, I get to be on the range here this week with everybody that won last year and a couple of us that didn't um, but made it to Eastlake. And as much as I want to say it feels totally normal at this point, there's times it does, but there's times that I just still 
I get to the range and I'm like watching people hit balls sure. and uh, it still doesn't quite feel um, not like I shouldn't be here, but it just still is a little hard to believe that, that I get to be and then I'm allowed to come play. Second go around, I think yeah, you'll probably start to power I hope through so, some yeah. First time here, this is my first time here yeah. too. It's been an eye-opening experience. It's, it's so cool. Everyone's in a great mood and uh, everyone's saying yes to our interview request this week, yeah. which, <laughs> which is rare. But it seems like I've heard you know Morikawa talk about this too. Like you get out on tour and like you start looking around at like what other guys are doing mm-hmm. and wondering like, oh, should I do that? Should I be doing that? Have you gone through any any of that in any way? Yeah, and I think if you took one thing from every single person, you would never finish anything that you ever tried to do. Right. Um, I think it's it's hard to in some ways kind of stick to what you know, but. At the same time, it's what's got you here. And everyone says that, but I really think it's true. You know, if, 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 I, if I decided today, you know, I played with Will today. Um, if I decided that, that it was my goal to hit it like him, I, one, probably would never hit it as good as he does. And two, I'd probably screw up everything else trying to do it. So as, as much as I'd love to strike the ball like some guys or chip and putt like some others, you know, I'd stick into what I do and what I'm capable of. You know, I think just getting a little bit better here and there, that's really what it's about. And if you tried to really copy people, there's there's always things you can learn. Yeah. In general, sticking to, to what you do is, is just the best way to go. Anything you've seen from any other players that, I don't know if amazes you, or any, any yeah. particular skills that you see, like somebody's putting or somebody's chipping, you're like, how? well, that's just otherworldly. It sounds kind of cliche maybe, but I think pretty much everybody has something like that. Yeah. You know, you watch – like I said, Will hit the ball. You watch Justin Thomas chip. You watch Matt Fitzpatrick putt. You watch John Rahm hit a driver. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think everybody has something. Um, you watch Rory do anything, you know. I think everybody has their thing that they do. Um, and there's the guys that, that do more things, and they're the top five yeah. or ten in the world. And there's guys that have their one thing. And, you know, it's. I, I think everybody does something, and, and it's you can learn – just from watching every day you mentioned too in your back to your like decision to stay in, in on this yeah. side of the, of the aisle of uh, being Ryder cups and president's cups being a yeah. big driver of that and you got to play in your first yeah. president's cup a few months later did that um that experience validate that hope i, I don't know how to ask that but the, you know did it meet, did it meet the hype in your yeah. own head of being on one of those teams i think so i think that's one of those times that you sit in a room with those other 11 guys and that was certainly a time that i was pinching myself you know having dinner with Max and Justin Thomas and Colin Morikawa and it, it's just it's still outrageous to me that I was allowed to you know <laughs> wear the team uniform but um, yeah it, it's such a cool week and it's it's such a different experience than anything else and I think now having been a part of that I think I was really fortunate to have played the way I did to just sneak onto that team this year I think it gives me a really good taste of you know what it'll be like trying to make those teams year in year out I'm not going to let that stand. You didn't sneak onto that team. You played your way onto that team. Like it was that was uh, that was going to be a major issue if you were not on that team, especially at that golf course. But what is what was the process like of finding up a partner for you? And and, and I'm, you know, the, this this U.S. Ryder Cup team or Presidents Cup team is coming off a 21 to nine win or whatever it was at the Ryder Cup. Like it was yeah. a a established team. Did you feel like a newcomer onto that team? Was it a welcoming experience? Yeah, I mean, definitely welcoming. I think. As much, I mean, you guys have talked to plenty of PGA Tour players. I think the vast majority of them are pretty normal people. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't run into anybody that I don't like. I haven't run into anybody that's not been really oh, nice to me. You can stay out here for a while. You will. Yeah. <laughs> but I really haven't. 
you know, obviously I partnered with, with Colin in the alternate shot, which is a lot of fun. All I have to do is just get it off the tee somewhere and he hits it to eight feet and <laughs> I can, you know, have my 50, 50 putt for birdie. And then playing with kids in the better ball was a ton of fun. He's an awesome guy. And I know we would have liked to play better that day, but we had a great time playing. I mean, he's someone I think you look up to in the sense of how much he can bring that team together and how much he adds um, to it. So, you know, that, that experience is, is something that you look forward to as a kid. And um, it definitely lived up to, to everything I could have imagined, really. Well, now his eyes turn to Rome, and I know that, yeah. you know, it's not like you go do team practices between the President's yeah. Cup and now. But I'm just curious as to what Trevor Immelman talked a lot about, you know, the Shield and, and all that goes into a team event. It's not just showing up that week, right? It's has there been any, you know, when does the talk turn to Rome? Has there been communications? Has there been talk? Is there What's the plan for the U.S. side this year? You know, I haven't heard much. Okay. You're still very much in the, I'm just, I'm trying to play yeah. my way onto that team. Let yeah. me focus th- on the golf. And I think, I think there's, I'm sure there's guys that are already involved. But I mean, one of the things you mentioned before, like, as far as being a newcomer, like, there were other rookies this past year on the President's Cup team. I think, I think Billy Horschel, yep. Colin, Sam Burns, which seems funny because they've all been out here i mean bill's been yeah. one of the best players in the world for a long time scheffler was the first time president's cover as well <laughs> i mean and those guys just they don't seem like they could be you know a rookie on the president's Cup team if yeah. that makes sense whereas for me it's both my first year and my first president's cup yeah. so i think i think it feels a little different probably for me than for them they've been around each other i mean sam is basically my age and he's been on the pga tour i think this is his fifth season maybe yeah. um so as much as you know, there are people I've been around a little bit at this point and some guys that I've known for a while. It was my first year, and even though it might be their first President's Cup, it's, you know, their fourth year on tour. What's it been like getting acclimated to this, this golf course, the plantation course, Kapalua? What, what's your, you know, what are you, what are you learning about it? What's, what's, how's it set up for you? I think it's really cool. I like that I get to hit driver all day. I mean, I, people talk about it being super wide, and there are some very wide holes. But there's with the wind, there's a couple that you have to be careful too. We can attest to that. If you yeah. go go to our YouTube channel, yeah. probably see the match that's up by now, oh, and we <laughs> we had to hit some provisionals. Yeah, no, there's there's some tricky spots, and I think it's I think it's one of those places that there's some very big shots, and you can just you can be 25 yards off. You know, you miss hit it a little bit, and the wind is not quite what you thought. Yeah, and with how big the elevation changes are. Um, I think it's one you just have to really pay attention all day. Even if you see a big, huge green and a big, huge fairway, you kind of have to be on it and kind of, you know, make sure that you have as much information as you can and, and take your time and be careful a little bit because as much as there are some wide shots, if you kind of don't pay attention enough, it will definitely bite you. Well, there's so much subtlety to the greens, too. Yeah. It's, it's, that, was, that was what I had a lot of trouble with. Yeah. But, uh, I, I was going to the last question I had for you was going to be about your MLB sponsorship, which is yeah. it gets heavily featured and I don't see it on your shirt anymore. Oh, it's all oh, it's up on the collar. OK, Tell, yeah. how did that come about? So it started the commissioner of baseball. Rob Manfred is a member at Sleepy Hollow yeah. in New York. So my my parents have known them for 20 years. They're great people. When I first turned pro, they kind of took us to dinner. And, you know, afterward, Rob leaned in and said, would you wear the, the MLB patch? And uh, at the time, it was, I think, maybe when I had just gotten Canada status or just before I got okay. Canada status so I was that goes way nothing. back yeah. yeah I was I had no status anywhere essentially and um I said well sir absolutely yeah I'd love to <laughs> and uh they've been there ever since they've been an awesome partner and um you know they they moved off the sleeves of my collar and um no I'm just happy to kind of keep that relationship going and they're they've been awesome to me and so supportive in 
both the sponsorship and just personally. Um, so very grateful for them. We have very bad running inside jokes. Anytime anything controversial happens in the MLB, it's like, oh, yeah. Adam Long, he needs to answer for yeah, that. Yeah, he needs yeah. to answer for that. He's wearing the logo. Yeah. But uh, do you get any, any any free baseball tickets? Any benefits to, um, for that? You know, I haven't asked. Um, we probably do. <laughs> but given the circumstances of how it started, um, when – you know, I, I was playing mini tours. I'm not going to ask for any favors. <laughs> that's that's fair. <laughs> All right, we'll let you go. Thanks so much for popping by. It's good to meet you and uh, good to finally chat with you. And I greatly appreciate your perspective and look forward to uh, doing it again sometime. Good yeah, luck this week. You guys do. I appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you. All right, last up, Sahith Tagala. All right, I don't think we've ever done this. It's about as fresh off a golf course as I've ever had someone come in for a podcast. You just walked off the plantation course. Is that your first time playing? You just played the back nine. First time? Yep, first time playing. Played the front nine yesterday. Back nine was really cool. How different is this place from a normal PGA Tour golf course? It's so different. I was just telling Carl McCaddy, I was like, you know, I didn't think this course was going to be that cool. Like, I just thought it was cool because it's the century and it's like badass that you even get in the event. And that's what makes it like really cool. But no, the course is insane. Like the views are incredible. Like, obviously, you see all the pictures and all that, but it's better in person. I can definitely say that. But the golf course also kind of impressed me. Like, you got to hit some shots and just thinking about 34 under it's absolutely absurd but you can see it but like it's absurd but really cool golf course and it's totally different than anything else that i've played at least this last year i was gonna say you guys don't play i would classify this as mountain golf you don't play mountain golf on the pga tour right what what so what changes in that regard like how do you do you see this place as like a you know the course knowledge and the years of knowledge is probably going to play a factor here right you're doing a crash course trying to learn it before the tournament starts for sure 100 percent. i think there's more because, like, obviously you have the plus and minuses of the the hills and stuff, but there's just certain holes where I don't know if it's the lie in the fairways or whatever it is. It's like even though the laser says plus 15, the book says plus 15, might be plus 20 or plus 25. And the same thing with the downslopes. It's like I think once you play the golf course more and more, you get a better feel of that. And But, yeah, I was just saying to you before, like, I've never had so many 90-yard, like, wedge shots from hitting up a 25. I'm literally playing it 20 yards further than the actual yardage. So, it's definitely way different. The part that got me was like, also, all right, I'm playing this up or downhill, but the up or down slope you're hitting off of yes. now is another factor. Then you factor in wind. Is there anywhere you've, you've played where there's that much mystery while the ball's in the air? No. I think maybe <laughs> Augusta might be up yeah. there, so we'll see about that. But, uh, yeah, there's been there was a couple shots where you're hitting off a down slope, but the hole's up the mountain. So it's like this ball's coming in flat. The greens aren't as soft as I thought they would be. They actually have a little bit of bounce to them, so – um, there's a lot going on, but at the same time, I think the tee shots are so wide that you're able to kind of play with the angles and you kind of like are able to do that more than other golf courses because the, the lines aren't as tight and the misses, you know, even if you miss it, most of the time it's just rough yeah. playing the angles with the wind and stuff to try and take that out of the second shot, I think is a little bit key too, but yeah, it's really interesting to, to kind of factor all that in. So we, we, you were on the podcast, I think back in May, I think it was, we talked all about waste management, but then, you know, we come back the next month, travelers insurance open 72nd hole. Look, like, it felt like it was your yeah. time, man. It really did. It felt like your time. Take us to that, that hole and how that played out. Yeah. Funny enough, I was walking from 17 to 18 and I just, I threw a fat fist pump on 17 and my heart was racing so fast. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, it was similar to waste where. Um, that final round, I did a really good job of like keeping myself calm and I'm like, dude, just don't get out of yourself. Like just enjoy it. Right. But 17 fist pump, I'm walking to 18 green. Couldn't feel a thing in my body. I couldn't tell you where I was. And Carl was like, Hey man, just remember to take a deep breath and slow down. And and I was like, Oh yeah, I should probably do that. 
or else I would have passed out on AT&T probably. But <laughs> honestly, I felt this, I think I've said this before, but I feel like I did everything right. And I felt this like really calm moment before I hit the tee shot on 18. And I just felt so good about it. I can't describe this feeling. I just felt like really calm. And I put a good swing on it. I just hit it maybe a touch high on the face and it just didn't cut. And I knew right when I hit that, I'm like, oh boy, that's going to be near the lip, huh? But I didn't think the lip was that bad. But I never let myself get ahead to the point where it was, okay, I got this thing locked in. I was like, I need to, I have one of the world's best players on my tail. Like I need to, yeah, I need to either make par birdie on 18 and do my job because it was playing really short downwind. I told Carl, like, hey, I'm not going to blade this. Like, if I'm going to miss this, I'm going to chunk it. It's going to go 20 yards ahead of me. Might hit the lip, whatever. It's going to get out of the bunker, though. And I don't know what it was. It was either adrenaline or just a really bad shot at a bad time. But it happened. And I remember, like, hitting the shot. And I thought, like, at first I thought it plugged under the lip. I'm like, oh, great. So I was actually happy to see it at least roll back down to where it was. But, um, yeah, it was just like a total kind of shock reaction. And then to hit it, I hit a pretty good wedge shot to, I don't know, maybe 10 11 feet and then to have that lip out was just kind of like i knew that was it was over at that point like xander was not gonna he's not gonna mess up 18 crazy it just happened so fast and again it felt like i did did what i needed to do but so in hindsight you're good with your decision to try to hit it out of that bunker you're you're committed to that decision yes i because in my opinion like it would the worst case scenario well <laughs> i clearly hit the worst case scenario but my worst case scenario is like i'm gonna chunk it because yeah like I'm on an upslope trying to hit it high. Like I felt like it was really hard to actually bone it. And the other option was to chip out sideways. But the funny part of the chip out sideways is I couldn't chip out to the right. I'd have to chip out forward. So either way, I'd have a 70, 60, 70 yard chance at a full wedge. So it's easy for me to say I can live with the decision and and I can, but it's just like how everything kind of happened on that hole is unfortunate. But well, it is like the only place that ball could have ended up that would that you couldn't get on the green was that spot. Yeah. You know, the funny <laughs> thing is I could have hit this drive 60 yards, right. And yeah. been up on the hill, been fine. Could have hit it 60 yards left, been in the stands, been fine. So it's just like the one spot you hit it in right there. It's just, it's, I don't know. That's even in golf. the bunker, even in the it's bunker, golf. you're totally fine. And, totally or fine. Or in the rough near it, it's totally fine. But is it, do you feel like, uh, you know, adding that up against with waste management and the bounce out of that fairway, do you, do you feel snake bitten? Do you, how do you reconcile the, the heartbreak like that? What's that like kind of dealing with that? Honestly, I don't. I, I just think, you know, I just got to keep putting myself in those positions. And there's definitely times in those tournaments where I felt like I didn't deserve some of the stuff maybe I did I was doing like waste in the weekend I was getting really squirrely with my driver yes. and I and I got some really nice breaks in the des just being able to hit it out of there and I don't know how I didn't hit more people at waste <laughs> like I have this one video I don't know if I showed you that I have this one video on hole 11 where I'm literally 90 yards right like I'm on the other golf course and somehow I didn't hit anybody didn't hit a bush didn't hit a cacti had a perfect shot to the green so it was like just stuff like that I just look back in hindsight and I'm like I got to think of it. There's no bad breaks in golf. There's only good breaks in golf, right? Hmm. I, I mean, I say that kind of sarcastically, but it's like golf doesn't owe you anything. So I'm like, whatever good bounce I get, I'm going to take that and run and be positive about it. And then the bad bounces, that's just going to be golf. Like, I definitely think waste was an actual bad bounce. I think <laughs> what I did on Travelers was like, I knew if that ball wasn't cutting, it was going to get all the way through in that bunker. So hmm. I knew that I, I couldn't hit it there. But no, honestly, looking at it, I'm... Sure, it's a bummer and it stings, and it still stings talking about it and thinking about it. But it's just gonna use it. I'm just gonna use it as more fuel. 
That's what I was going to say, though. It, mathematically, like, trying to win a golf tournament, like, if you think too much about those odds, it can drive you kind of crazy. But, yeah. like, those two results led to an incredible triumph at the end of the year. And the next time that you're under the gun, yeah. and people don't even probably fully realize all that you are playing for mm-hmm. down the stretch of the BMW Championship. Yeah. And if you don't make that putt on 18, we are not sitting right here talking about this. So yeah. take us to... You know, all the things that you're going through, while it's not at the top, top of the leaderboard, there's yeah. a lot riding on that final round. You know, it's funny that you brought that up because starting the week, I was like, okay, people aren't probably going to make too big of a deal about it to us, at least. Sure, in the media, like, whatever, make a big deal about it because it's a huge deal. But no, there was like three different people that came up to us and told us, like, all the scenarios, if you finish 32nd, 31st, like, what amount of points that you need projected to get in the top 30. I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like, there was a lot going on because I think I started the week, like, 28th or 29th I actually don't even remember what I started the week on but yeah I knew the implications were big and I had a pretty solid first three rounds and I started off well the final round I birdied the first hole and then just started slowly leaking oil. I think I made at least three bogeys I think I was two over with uh seven holes to play but the good thing that was a little bit different about that event at least I felt like is I had absolutely nothing to lose the other ones, it's like, okay, I got to still, like, finish this tournament and put up a good... But it's like, at the BMW, sure, that's still kind of a thing, but it's like, your season's either continuing or it's over. It's like a deadline. Like, the other tournaments, it's like, okay, life goes on, like, you still want to have a good finish. And I kind of told myself, standing out on 12T, and I birdied the next three holes. And I was like, all right, let's go. And I still knew I needed another birdie. Made a great up and down on 16, and then get to 17. Oh, by the way, I haven't... I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I didn't hit a fairway till hole 17, <laughs> the final round. Hole 17 was the first fairway I hit all around. That sounds a bit like you on the weekends when it's mattered this year. <laughs> I think I I think I hit like 26% of my fairways that week oh at the BMW. Um, it was pretty absurd. Like, it was hilarious. And a part of that I would attribute, because I drove it poorly at Eastlake, too. I was just tired from the yeah. long season. but finally hit a fairway on 17 i was like all right this is it this is destiny i hit a fairway like i'm gonna make birdie hit a horrible wedge shot to like 40 feet and i was like okay i don't i have i've played 18 horribly like let's just give this a run and i made that putt and i got a very similar feeling to to that putt i made on 17 at travelers i just was so pumped i've never i think that's the biggest fist pump i've ever given in my life are you looking at the leaderboards and seeing where you stand yeah so you know all this okay yeah. yeah i started looking at the board probably on 13 that short par three i was like okay what do i need to do and i was like i probably need to make three birdies and to like fully secure it i yeah. think i ended up i'm i d- actually don't know exactly if i needed to finish exactly how i did but it would have been close and obviously that would have changed maybe yeah. how other guys come in too but um i hit wood off 18 trying to be smart and hit it 70 yards right <laughs> and apparently i got a good bounce off a golf cart that kept it like in the spectator path rather than right into the mm-hmm. thick rough onto hole one and then from there i hit a pretty cool like a low slice up just short of the green got lucky that it stayed there kind of and chipped it hit a pretty good pitch and had a pretty straightforward six or seven footer and i felt again i felt really calm over the putt mm. um which previous experiences i, I haven't been most notably at Corn Ferry Finals. I can maybe talk about that too, but <laughs> I felt really calm over it and put a really good roll on it. And I knew when I made that, I, I, I was pretty sure I made it yeah. when I made that. So, but yeah, just like there's a lot riding on that. So, what is it? What's all that rides on making the tour championship? Okay. So, I knew, well, one, 
obviously the FedEx bonus just for making the tour championship and then the majors the majors was the big thing on my mind I was like if I can get in the majors I can choose my schedule so much better and obviously I want to I want to like start I've only played a couple majors and I want to like get into that kind of scene just to see what it's about so that was a huge goal for me I wouldn't even say goal but I really wanted yeah I really wanted to get in that and then picking my whole schedule obviously and but the really cool part was when I got to the tour championship, there was two other perks that I had no idea were, were a thing, but they were just reinstated that week, I guess. So one was getting to come here to century. I was like, sick, let's <laughs> freaking go. And the other one is a two year exemption. Yeah. Which is also huge for, I feel like just like from a mental standpoint and just like, you know, obviously being top 30 is really hard. I, I, winning is obviously the ultimate goal. And, and I think winning, it's tough to say, but I'd say winning is probably harder um, yeah. than getting top 30 in a season. Although different consistency yeah, yeah. versus, you know, being at the top. But, um, yeah, the fact that there's a two-year – I know a lot of people – many people don't make the top 30 and then lose their card the next year. But it's just like having that, you know, another year in my back pocket to kind of not stress too much about just results and more, and more about just how can I get better kind of thing. So – it's like playing a no-cut cool. event, like right. You're yeah. going to play a little different on Thursday, Friday, knowing that yes. Saturday's going to going to be there a little bit. So for sure, that is, uh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 awesome. I think it's a great development for this tournament to let yeah. the top thirty. I'm sure you agree with that <laughs> for the top thirty in terms of sure as hell. Agree <laughs> <with that. laughs> well, it's just going to be a really really good fields, you know. And uh, it, you know, all these developments are going with the PGA Tour. I'm curious how you've seen things unfold over the recent, you know, months. You've not been you were not in the Delaware meeting. You're not like at the top you're not the top billing necessarily of everything that, you know, the tour is trying to cater around. How do you think changes will affect your level of player? How do you how do you see things how things have developed? What are your opinions on it and what uh what it look like in the future? Yeah, so that's been an interesting topic and I've been thinking about it a little bit. I think the nice part about me is like everything is so fresh yeah. and good that like no matter what happens like all the changes are only going to be benefiting me and better, better benefiting me and other guys on the tour. I think one thing that a lot of guys have touched on is just like, there already is a little bit of like a PGA tour a and a PGA yeah. tour B. And I think that divide is just going to get bigger. And there might be even another, like a PGA tour C it might be like CBA. Cause like now the guys that finish between 50 and 70 are going to get into certain events. And all of a sudden these events are worth two to three times more than some of these normal events and so it's like there could be a big discrepancy in terms of actual money list and then fedex points so that'll be interesting to see how it shakes up at the end um but yeah the whole like pip elevated events i think is is really cool i just like like even the beginning of last year in the fall it felt like it was really really hard to get into the bigger events like you just have to play really well and and you know you only have a few starts so i just feel like there needs to be maybe an easier way to feel like you can really earn yourself into those because I think a thing is like once you get into those elevated events and bigger events it's kind of if you're playing well it's kind of hard to fall off you stay in them yeah and these guys are just so good right way too good so I I think the scenario would be unfortunate is one of these guys that can grow into you know a superstar or or someone who's really really good who doesn't really get that opportunity right away and and that might hurt them mentally and physically in their golf game and creep into that there's just so many angles that I haven't really been thinking about it too much. Again, just because it's so new. I'm like, Your oh, job's to play, this too. This is great. Yeah. This is awesome. But, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it is next year because I don't even know. Like that's, I don't think anybody knows. Uh, you know, it, Nothing's announced for next year, and that's where I think yeah. this year, again, is going to be different than next year, right? And I think a huge part of you know, if these elevated events, which are going to be more of them in 2024, if they are – 
no cut limited field a the, there has to be churn at the bottom 25 percent of those you have to give guys access to get in there or else the whole exactly what you said like the whole system of meritocracy on the pga tours is screwed up a little yeah. bit so how they handle that is going to be a delicate thing and i i'm that's what it's probably one of the biggest question marks still as to what the size of those fields are but yeah you are right like kind of on that line on that cusp of of you know uh, what, what's your world ranking right now 44 okay. 45 actually haven't I don't know. So but you would have gotten in the, the Masters yes. regardless of the Tour Championship was anyways. really cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was cool to see my after uh, RSM bump in the top 50 because that's like, I don't know. I never thought of this kind of stuff. I just wanted to be on the damn tour. And now that's like all that extra stuff is, is really, really cool. So this will be your first Masters? First Masters. What's what's the anticipation yep. like for that? Well, I'll be honest. It, like, I knew I got in after Tour Championship, but I was like, okay, cool. Like, this is sick. Like, it's going to be incredible. But then when I got the letter, I got it on Christmas Day. When I got the letter, I was like, whoa. I almost, I got chills just, like, opening the letter. And, like, you know, I've seen guys post on social media and pictures for 10-plus years about getting this letter. And all of a sudden, this letter's at my doorstep. It's like, damn, this is actually, like, happening. This is real. Um, and I've already booked all the stuff for that yeah. and <laughs> trying to trying to plan which family members are coming on going? what day. So, um, and I got to play last month, which was really, really cool and just kind of appreciated what it is and kind of get the shock factor out of the way. So I'm still, I don't know how I'm going to hit that first tee shot on, on Thursday. (laughs) It's gotta be driver. We know that no matter what the wind's doing and I'll be aiming on nine fairway. That's that's for, that's for sure. Let's just push slice out in the fairway. Yeah. It, it's starting to feel a little more real and, and I think the key for me is just to like treat it like another i, I know it's uh, not gonna be possible but like just try and treat it as another golf tournament but yeah it's at what really point special. though are you going to you know i i greatly enjoy your watching your kind of emotional journey through this and the, the way you downplay of you know i just wanted to play on the tour i didn't think yeah. of this but at what point are you willing to accept that you uh, you know i'm not saying you don't accept this but willing yeah. to accept that you belong there and that you're there to compete and you are one of these guys and i know it's it's a you know i'm not saying you're playing a persona publicly right but sure. internally you got to be saying you've accomplished enough to say like hey i belong out here and this is my stage yeah and that's funny you say that solely because i don't really feel that way inside do i feel like i can compete at the highest level yes i do and i feel like my game is trending and i just want to keep getting better at it but do i feel like you know i'm one of the do i feel like i'm actually one of the best players in the world i still have a lot more to prove to myself and I don't know if that'll ever stop. That's kind of just how yeah. I've kind of lived my whole life. I feel like, like I just want to keep going and, and try and prove more things to myself. And um, maybe I need to do a little better job of like being happy with what I've done, which I'm very happy and very grateful for the opportunities I've had. But I think I'm going to need to prove a lot more to myself to be able to really feel like I'm yeah. kind of there and, and truly belong. What's got to, what's got to change with your golf game? What's the, what, what's held you back for, to yeah. this point? Honestly, coming out here and and this this is another thing i'm really excited about this year being that top 30s i'm gonna get to play with a lot of like top top guys and last year i got to play with a lot of really good players but not a whole lot in the top 10 in the world actually i don't even know if i've played more than a couple guys but just like seeing the level of everyone's game it's like everyone does so many different things so well and even on a good week i find myself being like man i can get so much better at this or so much better at that and and i I don't know if people are saying that about me but um i just feel like every part of my game could get better even my short game which i think is the best part of my game at chipping and putting i'm like i just like uh this morning i was watching john rom just hit chips for 20 minutes and he didn't hit he didn't miss hit one chip shot 
I mean, the guy finds the bottom every single time perfectly. I'm like, I don't have that. So I, I just feel like I can get to a point where I feel like I can keep working hard and try and get more parts of my game. But I'd say driving is the big one for me. If I could just it's get It's permeated it, through this conversation. That, that'd be my guess yeah. as well. <laughs> Under the gun, it hasn't been there. It's my, my driving. Just I get quick and get over the – well, it's a combination of over the top and under. It's so – Sometimes it's over the top, sometimes under, because I get slidey. Neil is nodding furiously behind the camera. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I don't I don't really know what it is. I've gotten better with it, for sure, as I've been in more pressure, pressure situations. But um, And one thing that I'm fine with is, like, I know with how my swing is, I'm never going to be an elite, elite ball striker. But as long as I can get it more consistent and more, I feel like, more in control, it's almost like a bonus i feel like it's a bonus so yeah i'd say it's a whole scope of things but definitely my driving because i think i i drove it like really well from it was the best i've ever driven it by a mile last year and it was still like it looked pretty bad and i think i still lost shots on the year off the tee and i think i'm doing horribly this fall i just feel like every part of my game could get better and just playing with more more top guys i think i'm going to see that more too I've heard just rumblings of this, that the stuff that the Netflix people have captured with you this mm-hmm. year is some of the best stuff in their entire stuff. So what, give us kind of a preview. Is it? I'm guessing it's kind of the emotional journey from waste into travelers into yeah. making the tour championship and what yeah. that's like. What's, can you give us at least a snippet? I don't want to spoil too yeah, much, yeah. but a snippet. Well, honestly, I didn't do a whole lot with them. Um, they, were, they did a good job of kind of staying out of my face, but they just seemed to be there at like the right moment. Yeah. And unfortunately, the first few moments were not happy moments right we were doing some stuff right before bmw with netflix and carl was like i think we went to like a coffee shop and but anyway carl was like you guys if if this doesn't work out like we're done like you guys better not be here to to (laughs) get another sad or bad moment you know this better be a good moment so Oh, and the golf cart that I hit it off of on 18 at BMW was a Netflix. No, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. now they're Can't part make of the story. <laughs> Can't make this up. I forgot about that part. Can't make it up. Hit it off of. Uh, it's all fake. Yeah, incredible. Um, <laughs> the, I think it was Ella. I forgot who was driving the car, but one of the Netflix people were driving the car, and it's like, yeah, hit off our car. That's and, great. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. I think it's gonna be really cool. I have I haven't even seen too many snips of it or anything, but I'm just excited to watch the whole thing because obviously you see what it did for formula one and and anything that could make golf seem cool is, yeah. is great with me i've heard it noth- is cool nothing but great rumblings um about it to this point but so if i'm uh, doing the math here so when you know uh wills outdoors had to pull out of the president's cup mm-hmm. looked around the landscape and it was your name was one of the few that kind of comes up in terms of who might fill that last u.s spot which i believe went to kevin kisner i don't mm-hmm. know the order and sequence of events for all that but did you feel like you had a chance to make in that team? Were you in any conversations with any captains at any point of the process? Did you feel like you were on the outside looking in? What was that like for you? Yeah, I felt like I was on the outside looking in. Um, I thought maybe – I don't know how any of the team processes work because yeah. I've never been on a Walker Cup team. I feel like I got snubbed out a couple there. So I have a I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder just with team events in general. Um, so, like, I don't, I don't know, like – or do the captains contact the guys that are close? Maybe they did. I, I'm right. not really sure. But I, I don't think I, I – I never felt like I deserved a spot or anything. I just feel like you, the U.S. team is so good. And all those guys that got spots does absolutely deserved it. I think if anyone – I mean, Kiz is a great pick just from a team chemistry sure. standpoint. And the guy's a baller. Like, I feel like it's easy for him to fool people about, oh, he's just, you know, easy-go-lucky. Yeah. yeah, all <laughs> shot. No, the guy's an absolute baller. 
and I, I played with him a few times and I've gained so much respect for the guy. I mean, not that I didn't respect him before, but he's hilarious and, and just goes about his business, but he's a freaking bulldog. Like he gets after it. But, um, I think, I think the one guy that I was thinking of probably that maybe deserved a spot deserved more. It's a yep. touchy subject yep. was, was Aaron wise. Yeah, that was, he might've been 20 something in the world at that point. And his numbers were kind of jumping off. If it was a numbers play, it was probably him. If it was like, stuff. if yeah. it was like a, he might go on a heater. It might have been you, yeah. or if it's chemistry thing, it might be kids and a match play killer. All that it could have gone a lot of different ways. Like I said, it was it wasn't like you, you were beating down the door necessarily. But I, you look around, it's like man, it could be an investment in the future, right? It could be you don't know who the match play killer in those team events is going to be until you get you know until you roll it out. But with how nervous it sounds like you're going to be in the Masters, maybe it was a good decision. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I the the young having young guys in was an interesting. I saw a lot of stuff about that, like why not put Aaron in there or Davis in there? You know, someone gets some yeah. reps and guys that could be on future potential teams. Cause I feel like Davis is another guy that maybe people really don't know of too much, but he almost made the tour championship and had a great season. And I think he's going to be one of those young guys that yeah. along with hopefully me and cam and will that kind of really, well, Will's already, yeah, I guess cam has already kind of proven himself fully <laughs> too, but me and Davis have a little way to go to get to that, but gives us more motivation to, to keep out it so what was the corn fairy finals story you were you were mentioning yeah so i was playing really well all year like really solid for me and i was coming off a couple of like i finished 32nd in memorial played great finished 30th at barracuda played very solid that was just at where my game was at that time um and i had one of the best weeks of my life earlier in the year came 14th in napa so i got just enough um non-member points to get in the corn fairy finals i got in by like four points what year four. is this uh, last year, 21, 21. Okay. 21. So, uh, missed the cut at the first Corn Ferry Finals event in Boise. And the second one was in Columbus. And that's the first time that Carl caddied for me. He, he was caddying for Putty, who missed out by like one or two, making it to the second playoff event. So I was like, hey, you mind coming caddying for me? He's like, fine. Um, glad, very glad he did. But anyway, I, I played great the first three days. Um, I think I was in like 20th place going to the final round. And I got an absolute heater on the back nine. I made five birds in a row. I think I made nine. I might have made ten birdies. I made nine or ten birdies the final round. Sprinkled some bogeys in there. But um, I knew I needed to make par on the last hole to for sure guarantee my tour card because I was in like T-second at that point. And hit it in the left trees and hit one of the best shots that I've never – I've never even talked about the shot. One of the best like punch cut nine irons out of the trees to, to 30 feet. I'm like, all right, I've done it. I have a 30-footer downhill like I – it's not that fast. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to hit too far by. I'm not going to leave it that far short. I don't think. But sure enough, I get up to the green, look at the damn leaderboard. I'm like, all right, just two putt. You're good. And that's just not how I'd, I – one of my biggest strengths in golf is my speed putting. And I feel like it's always because I'm trying to get make it, you know, trying to drip it in the front or make it. But this one, I'm like, all right, just two putt. Sure, sure enough, I leave it three and a half feet short, and for some reason, I just had such bad mojo over it, and um, I was just shaking really bad. I couldn't, I couldn't stop my hands from shaking, and I was like, "This is for my tour card." And there was like a six-way tie for fourth if I missed this putt, so I had no idea if that was good enough to get in or not. And it's like a dead. It was like maybe a left center putt, and I hit this putt and it started outside the left, and I pulled the crap out of it. I mean, I hit it like two feet by, and I was like, "Oh my god." I gotta make this two footer now, <laughs> but it was awful. I, I that was that was one of the most nervous putts I've maybe the most nervous putt I've ever had in my life. And and looking back at it, I'm like that was really silly that I was even. If I just took a moment to think about what position I was in, like I don't think I would be as nervous. But 
yeah, ever since that moment, everything has felt like less nervous, I guess. And I'm thankful for that moment because I can look back at it and be like, dude, how ridiculous was that? Like me being that nervous about that. I've never heard of anyone be able to master getting past nervousness of any kind, right? Like that's yeah. what amazes me about what you guys do is just like, I don't know how, like yeah. you coming, if you're coming down here on Sunday with off this yeah. downslope in contention, trying to hit that shot over water, how Top the hell are it, yeah. you not I, how do yeah. you perform? How do you practice that? You can't practice it. It's not something that necessarily gets better with experience. That's the part of the game that just yeah. still blows my mind. I don't understand it. So, and everyone has that in their golf game. Right? You get chance if you're walking down the 18th at Plantation, chance to shoot your lowest round yeah. ever for any amateur. It's just nerve wracking experience. So, very. very, yeah. So, all right. Well, I got great hopes for you this year, man. It sounds like uh, you're in a good headspace. You got a, a, some good runway, and we're excited to follow it. And thanks for. Uh, popping in here and enjoy Maui man this, yeah. it's pretty tough oh. not to enjoy but uh yeah, yeah have a great week and a uh, great season look forward to catching up again thanks Sully Cheers. appreciate it man let's be the right club be the right club today yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's better than most how about him that is better than most better than most